three, two... What's up, Mick? How you doing, Justin? I'm doing well. And how are you, Bo? I'm doing well. Good, good, Justin. It's good to have you on our show. It's good to be here. Welcome to the Wizarding World Talks Back. Wizarding War Talks Back. Uh, Great title, by the way. It's thank a, you. It's an, um, amazing. Garrett came up with it himself. Oh. Well, I, I wish he was here so that I could uh, could could praise him for his titleness. He needs personal accolades. Yes, I agree. Um, Acolytes. Just for newcomers, we just kind of talk about the previous episode that aired of Wizarding War, which was episode two. Uh, the Chess Master. The Chess Master, yes. Great <laughs> title, Justin. Um, and basically, uh, we just kind of go through the episode and talk about what happened and talk about any uh, new developments as well as new cast members. Mm, so, yeah. uh, oh, but, oh, well, kind of new cast members, but new character, but not new cast members. That's true. Hey, good point. Yeah. New, new, he's not a new cast member with broad strokes, but he is a new cast member for Wizarding War. Well, in episode one, that's true. I mean, I guess like I guess like overall in this series, he's like a, the first. He's yeah, like the first new is, cast member. For legal purposes, we should spell out all these he's, disclaimers he's, he's the, right uh, now. He's the very first. Uh, he's the first new cast member joining the Wizarding War talks back. Right? I hope everybody listening is writing this down because there will be a, there stuff. will be a quiz. Yeah. Yes, there will be. <laughs> so, um, Bo, you in episode one played. The Dark Lord. Yes, I did. I did. Uh, um, he who shall not be named. Yes. In mixed company. Yes. Under Which, after two uh, drinks. After <laughs> yeah, after a few drinks. Which you kind of had a uh, an interesting audition for that one because uh, yeah, we we didn't technically bring you in for an audition for Voldemort. We, we we had you fill in when we did like a special uh, special you know reading. preview reading yeah, of preview it, reading. and uh, we had so many people who were who were commenting like oh my god we love this guy's voice so much this guy's so great <laughs> that uh when when unfortunately our our, our fine actor from uh from the film was was not able to uh return due to yeah, scheduling conflicts yeah. we're like well no need to audition anybody bo's already got this yeah oh wow well, when so. we did yeah when we did the reading everyone nice. was really impressed so yeah it's it was um it, yeah it's a wonderful voice and at first i was just looking at the previous actors uh scene at the end of the film which, if everybody listening has seen the film or, or hasn't seen the film, they should go see the film. If, if you haven't seen the film and you're joining us on the second episode of the Radio Play sequel, then you're very lost. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and his take was so uh, unique. I thought it was very different than Rafe Fine's uh, version in the, from, the, from the films. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study this guy's uh, version of it. But then when I did the audition with you guys, I kind of meandered. And then we explored some new territory during the uh, during the audition, yeah. and uh, we got we kind of found our own uh, unique Voldemort. I said it. I'm going to say it. No, yeah, Vol- Vol- yeah. Voldemort is the correct way to say it. Now. Okay. Yeah, we, 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 we've got we've got a lot of uh, a lot more to explore with all these characters now. But we uh, we had some worry with with bringing you in as Voldemort because we already had you pinned as. Uh, uh, for for the next episode coming up for one character that we won't get into talking about yet, right? And uh, had you playing, uh, had you in mind for Luthor as well. So we were thinking it's like we we have you coming in for three pretty major characters for this new series. Oh yeah, which which was great because it's like, uh, and there's an opportunity with these three characters to just do vastly different uh, voices, you know, just to which you are 
extraordinarily talented at. Well, thank you again. This is, this is the Bo Praise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the Bo Praise show. Yeah, yes. Garrett, Garrett's not here, so we'll just skip him. Go yeah. straight to the Bo Praise. But yeah, it was. Uh, you get to do just. I think it's just luck of the draw, though. With these with these three different characters to do three vastly different voices. You got like a a, a very friendly grandfather. You know, who, who cares a lot about his uh, We'll get offspring. into that on the next episode. Yeah. We'll uh, get into that, because he has yet to be revealed. Okay. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Cut that out. That's okay. And, uh, you know, you got uh, this pretty much the, the darkest of the dark enemies in this uh he is this, the darkest and the lordiest and the lordiest of the dark lords of the of these uh, of the bad guys in this whole thing and then you got a guy who sits squarely in the middle which is uh wonderful you know you get to play those three degrees those three yeah. uh, uh, so your character broad is, variations your character is luther fermenter uh he's a brand spanking new character and and probably our our biggest char- new character entering into this uh, into this series yeah, by he, far. He plays a crucial role for sure. Um, and the kind of the idea is um, he is going to serve as a bit of a sense of direction for Severus Snape, mm-hmm. both in plot and his character. Uh, so. We see a little hint of that in episode two. You know, he's kind of being complimentary and saying, you know, I'm not your professor anymore, but you were my best student. Um, and then he's going to kind of serve in a large capacity to the direction the Death Eaters take. So, which we got to see a little bit of when we had that huge ensemble Death Eater scene, which, by the way, was so fun. To oh, yeah. have everybody in the room at the same time bouncing yeah. off each other to have yeah. the, to, to just have that round table was great. Yeah. You know, it was it, it was uh the the black mirror image of the marauders sitting at the table in the beginning of the film uh-huh. where we had like, you know, this group of friends sort of, you know, just making chit chat and with each other and, and seeing how they re, you know react with one another. So yeah. finally uh finally getting all the death theaters in the same room I think is somebody something that a lot of people looked forward to and yeah, got to yeah. bring in a lot of uh, a lot of new cast members that we hadn't seen yet. We have mm-hmm. uh, the wonderful Anna Brisbane joining us as Bellatrix in that yeah, episode. Brizzy voices. And uh and and uh yeah, I think um We'll we'll be getting a lot more from them very very soon. So this was a nice little introduction before we see the uh, interpersonal drama that 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 erupts from these you know various egos. Yeah, yeah, and it's really one of my favorite parts of the that particular episode because it just seems to open up. It's very cinematic. So like you start with the 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 chess a very sort of intimate scene then you go into the office and then all of a sudden he transports into this you know and you get the wonderful uh image that you have the mm-hmm. exterior shot of that castle oh, yeah. and him walking into the room with everybody there and everybody's like you you get a got all the different voices there it right. just feels like a full-bodied radio play and, and we, point, we 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 played know. with that justin and i kind of talked a lot about 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 that scene in the editing process because you know we we were used to um you know, film editing. It's it's you know you you, yeah. you you get right to the point with a lot of these things. When you're listening to it, you you you, hmm. you know you 
you worry that these yeah. breaks of silence in a radio play, it's like, oh, there's this long pause here, but that's before sound effects and all these other things are done. So we realized how much we could stretch these scenes to build up suspense yeah, once right. we actually get into the sound design portion of things, which is a little hard to tell in the editing process early on before uh, you know, our, our sound designer, Jordan, goes in and starts adding these environmentals. Right. You know, well, how, when... how much we can say off of just the voices and just enjoy the ambiance yeah. of, of where the character's at building up to moments. Right. And that was an interesting process, uh, which is getting more interesting as we go along, because episode three has a lot more action in it, um, as to how the episode plays once I hear the very first uh, version from Jordan, our sound designer. Uh, and we, it, it, we get to understand where the pacing is going. So... I will do the best I can to create the pacing, whether it's between someone walking from one door to another or uh, having someone like get up out of their chair, grab something, give it to Snape. Um, and once I heard it, I was like, okay, I need to give the sound designer more leeway to move voices around a little bit depending mm -hmm. on what they're doing. Uh, because we had to do quite a bit of editing with episode two because, you know, Luther goes from getting out of his chair, talking to Arthur, to going to his office, to going to Malfoy Manor. Yeah, and those transitions, I feel, made that they, – they were my favorite part of the of the episode because yeah. I felt like I was being moved into a larger story, you know, introduced sure. into this double life, and it's just sort of a big – Bum, bum, yeah, moment, and you have you know? to have the suspension of, of, of disbelief when you're listening to it where you can imagine how much time it would take somebody to get to place to place since sure. you are envisioning all this stuff inside of your head. It's like, okay, where is he apparating to? What location on the premises? If he's you know apparating 50 yards away from where the front door is, how long you know is it going to take him to walk from there to opening the door? Are they right inside the manor once right. he opens the door? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot to for us to imagine since we don't have that visual aspect where yeah. it's a lot easier to say, you know, we're just, you know, walk from here to there. Right. Now that we don't have that, now we have to think it's like, okay, you know, in the, in the case of, uh, Peter sitting on the couch, you know, mm -hmm. is he, if he gets up and it only takes him one second, that would make you kind of visualize in the head that like the couch he's sitting on is directly next to the front door. Exactly. Yeah. So footsteps it, become so important in a mm -hmm. radio play, like just yeah. even the amount, the, the, Density, the volume, the, uh, the the cadence, you know, everything is is, is informing the, the type audience. of footstep. You know, the you know, type I know, of footstep. I, I noticed Rodolphus had heavier boots uh, when he was walking from one place to another. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, and and it's depending on where they're walking. Are they walking on marble? Are they walking on cobblestone? Exactly. Is it in the dirt? It's mm -hmm. you know all all of that. You know, it, it's a very imaginative process for us because we want there to be no question when you're listening to it of what's happening in the scene and yeah. what these characters but what are doing. What you want to do with the radio play is just like the radio play problem is indication, you know, and whether or not to do that through dialogue or exactly. through setting oh, the man, scene. That's been a know? process writing that. that. And that is the main, I mean, since, since Orson Welles, this has been the main problem, you know, what to, what to actually, uh, you and I, Snape, let's go to this door. That's 20 feet away. You know, whether <laughs> yeah, or not to hand, say yeah, that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's breaking a lot of, dialogue rules in the sense of it's like somebody hands you something it's like oh my journal that i've written in today you right know, so my than... my job as a writer is to figure out how to um do the proper exposition of what's happening uh without um being cheesy being yeah. cliche and yeah. that's tough that's been a very interesting challenge for this so far i think i'm doing 
Garrett and I are doing okay, but I think uh, you're doing great, and I think that's the one of the big things that you've got going for you is that you know since you've done film, you know how much to or you're learning how much to tell and how much not to tell sure. and, and do a really great story that way, you know, and that's, yeah. that's, uh, you know, you could have just, uh, some, some radio plays do like a narrator who, who just, who does it, who is excessive and tells you every little thing. And it's yeah, well, something a lot you of, don't uh, want. You know? we, we had some debate on whether or not there would be like a narrator, like kind of like telling the story, like as if it were a book read. Like an audiobook. And oh, I was wow. like, no, let's figure out how to do this where it's just it's just an audible version of a movie. You yeah. Know, they don't have narrators. And, and a lot of and a lot of people do. have asked, you know, since we've been including this bonus content with the YouTube, uh the YouTube versions of mm-hmm. the play yeah. of you know, it's like, Oh, we we would like you to include more artwork and it's like, you know, the artwork's great. We love the artwork. We've been getting some amazing pieces out of it, but that should not be a requirement to understand what's happening in the scene. That should totally. only be a fun bonus content. If, if, if we're getting lost and we are paying attention to right. people who might be getting lost in this, we are taking note to see how we can adjust things to uh, make sure that there's there's no confusion totally. when you're no, listening it's, to this. It's meant to be podcast first, but our biggest following is YouTube. So but we, if you uh, read the comments, like all those comments say such wonderful uh, praise about how people were emotionally moved by some of these performances, which is really <laughs> something if you're like, doing a radio. I like this better than Snape and the Marauders. And I was like, <laughs> well, I could have saved myself a lot of stress <laughs> if I just did everything this way. Film costs. Wow, man. Well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how they yeah, they think of uh, the the next episode, which which is uh, without spoiling anything, very very action heavy. So we'll, yeah. we'll be we'll be seeing. Uh, hats that off happen. to uh, Alex and his uh, music, which also adds a layer of of cues for the audience. Oh, just, know, just when any... they're supposed to feel something, when a scene changes too. You know, yeah, the the different music. I, I already loved the 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 scene that I get to have with Remus before when I just heard it and it's raw, but. Mm-hmm. When when that was combined with the the sound design and then that music that Alex threw over it, it was one one of my favorite pieces that yeah. I've gotten to be involved in so yeah. far. So yeah. far, yeah. So we've far. got we've got uh, eleven more episodes. Oh or yeah, ten more episodes. So so let me ask you both, since we have you here, how what 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 do you think? You know, obviously without you know. Spoiling, spoiling the the direction that we're going in. Which if I spoil how, stuff, I, I apologize. How, how I'm really did, bad. No, no, yeah, no, you're how, not going to. How did you feel about uh, Luthor when you first got the character, and what what helped you sort of come up with the the voice and tone for Luthor for this first episode? Yeah, of yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great question. Uh, you know, he's he, he's on the page. You 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 have to really. Uh, read it to really try to understand. You have to read it a few times to sort of get where he's coming from, or at least I did. I had to really like sure. try to try to get where he's coming from because a lot of it is subtextual. It seemed to be uh, going on underneath the surface. Like it seemed where where his loyalties lie yeah. was is the is the overriding uh, question, you know, for me. Well, the question of how you how you play a good liar. Yeah. Where, yeah, where you are you are you you are saying you you're speaking your dialogue to a character. That you have to sound like you're a good liar, yeah. But with that undertone of knowing that what you're saying isn't the truth. Well, that's that. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. Um, I remember uh, I read somewhere that uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick was talking about uh, people lying, like how to portray people lying, and you should just portray somebody as actually just trying to actually convince the other person. Like you're not, don't ever like tip anything towards the audience and go. Uh, 
wink or look at the, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or, or even a pause or a subtle twitch or, or, or a dip in the, if it's a radio play, a dip in the intonation or whatever. Sure. It should be just totally, totally convincing, like you're just trying to convince the other person of the absolute, absolute truth and believe in it yourself. Believe in it yeah. as a liar would if, he's, if they're actually trying to convince somebody else of the truth, you know. Well, it's sort of the, the, uh, what, what uh, a technique that I'd heard with just acting in general, which in truth is lying. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's all creating uh, very uh, believable lies is yeah, that yeah. it is not so much convincing the other person as it is convincing yourself in the moment uh, yeah, and letting them great. witness that. Yeah. Right. that. And in this case, the, the first scene that you have in the episode is with a character, Arthur Weasley, who we can say you're, you're very good friends with yeah. like legitimately you, you like this guy. Yeah. So, you know, that is a, that's a different level where you're, you're not lying to the enemy. You are meeting with this guy every day, playing chess and, you know, having to lie directly to a, yeah. a person yeah. who you do feel this, this friendly bond with. Yeah. And I hope a lot of that just comes across in the, in the, in the, in the scene itself. Like we don't give any backstory. We just sort of roll and, join into yeah. the scene and i'm, I'm well, hoping been, a lot of that subtext will just just yeah. go through the lines the subtext know? is there to kind of give people an idea of who this guy is and what he's about um both as a as a you know a, a worker for the death eaters and a spy in the ministry um but some people are like i hope you give backstory for luther i'm like oh we will over time slowly when it's necessary some people want like a full, you know, page biography of this guy. And I'm like, well, no, 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 what's you got to you gotta, exactly. Yeah. You got to get to know him. I you got to, yeah. Think about that versus, you know, that's like the GI Joe approach. So you get a GI Joe action figure and you turn around the back of the of the package <laughs> yeah, and the entire got, bio is right there. We've got a baseball just, card for Luther. We'll I'm sell just, those on the Patreon. Yeah, I'm really, card. really glad that I knew the full backstory of Snow Job before I bought that action <laughs> figure. And he, he did, I love reading those. Those are He did great. a lot of jobs. He was relatively in the snow. It was great. But think about your favorite G.I. <laughs> favorite G. Joe I think you're episode. talking about Mr. Yeah. Plow. Huh? No, no, no. It was Mr. Plow. Plow. That's, That's my name. name. Uh, that name again is Mr. Plow. Snow Job. I love Snow Job. He <laughs> rode around. He had a red beard. He kicked ass with an Uzi, I think it was. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. But, but you wouldn't want to see his backstory entirely fleshed out in the first five minutes of an episode. Right. You know? Well, you I, wanna... I, also, I also think that most of most of the fan base has has enjoyed these, you know, the, the, the Harry Potter world for well over a decade now. Totally. And, and, and the thing, you know, decades, actually. 20 years. Uh, it, this is twenty years. Yeah. So so mm-hmm. but so you know uh, everyone loves these characters already knowing what they know about the characters, having the full picture. They kind of I think forget how J.K. slowly revealed more and more about these characters. Each Especially book. Snape. Especially Snape. Like we, and, we and, were on we were on the fence for five <laughs> books, and then six book six, we're like, okay, he's got to be a bad guy. Well, I, I think I think yeah. people and people need seven. to realize in in regards to Snape, and uh, this this is this is hard for me to talk about playing him because the people who love what we're doing with the characters and are huge fans of them i still have my disagreements on people who are highly positive about it because 
I, I think their opinion of Snape is very much colored by knowing how he dies and what he sacrifices later on. Yeah, sure. their, their evaluation is good guy or bad yeah. guy based on his story They, they, they know where he gets to. They know what the, the end arc for this character is. But if they were to just look on paper, forgetting everything else they know about Severus and what he does in the future and what sacrifices he's willing to to make as far part of, part of his penance... Yeah. I don't think he would be a very well liked character. Yeah. I think um, he, I think he 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 is a forgivable character that is not that should not be that should be respected on a macro level, but would you hang out with him? Probably not because he did a lot of what he did for two reasons, the greater wizarding world and for his penance over Lily. Yeah. Um and that is a both a selfish reason and selfless reason, but look, if he saves the the world I'm like, am I really going to question his reasoning at this point? Of course, we don't know that yet. And, well, that, yeah, and, that, and, that's, that and that's very yeah. hard for us well, to... Well, I mean, yeah, that goes back to your point about backstory, you know, and <clears throat> sure. knowing that backstory ahead of time, I don't think it's anywhere oh, no, near as interesting. Like, it wouldn't uh, have worked at all. You, I wouldn't be interested in... That's the most fascinating thing, or one of the most fascinating things about Luther for me is like figuring out as an audience member where his, uh, his loyalties actually lie. And right. Like, is he more swayed in this moment as a good guy or a bad guy? And, well, the way I'm writing him is that he is a good guy for the wizarding world. He just has a very different point of view on what being a good guy is. He sees that there is an issue with uh, the, the wizarding world not having a superiority complex over muggles. And that's why he's on board with what the Death Eaters are doing. Because he's like, I don't like how the wizarding world is being is treating itself it's almost he almost has a grindelwald point of view as to like why are we hiding Hmm. we're the superior beings um but he sees he's very much a man of the people he's almost a politician type uh so he knows where he belongs he belongs in kind of a organizational um leadership status like i consider him kind of the secretary of state uh or not the secretary of state the um uh, like he, he's he's in charge of staffing the Death Eaters. Okay. And he's kind of like he he's the front man. So if if you've got Captain America that, that handles the Avengers on the front, uh, then that's Luther and Voldemort would be um, Samuel Jackson's character. Come on, Nick Justin. Fury. Mick, Nick Fury. Yeah. Okay. So he's like in the shadows and he's up top. So he sees himself as a good person who's doing the right thing. It's just the right thing in, in the his opinion of the right thing is very much wrong. As we all know, but that's that's also how I'm kind of portraying the Death Eaters is that some of them are truly sadists, but yeah. others are like this is this is the right thing to do, and that's how Luther sees it. I also think all war is like that. Yeah, um, there you know there are not to get overly controversial with why people go and fight in wars, but you know you have a lot of people who are going to fight for very noble reasons. They feel that there's there's some you know this this. A better world they need to uphold and there's some people who just like to fight yeah there's some people who just want to go out there and have a, a hatred of the enemy and want to go out and kill the enemy right and uh you know that that is um definitely seen on uh uh the side of the death eaters where you know you have people who believe in 
the cause. You have people that know that they will gain a significant amount of power towards the end of it. You know, blue right. bloods like uh, the Malfoys, for instance, mm-hmm. who, if you know, they're already in a high position of power, but if this war goes their way, then they move even higher than they would have expected. They they're, they're almost at a a top tier level at this point, and right. the only way they can go any higher than what they're doing right now is to be in a high position from winning this war and turning the tide in their favor. Right. Um. But then there's Severus, and uh, Luthor, who has a great amount of sort of focus and direction as this character entering the scene, um, is completely the opposite to where I think we find Severus at this point. Right. Um, He had a fork in the road at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. One of those pathways to Lily was cut off. And now, rather than him have made the conscious, you know, the conscious choice of I'm going to go in this direction, he's like, "This is the only way I know how to go. Right. Can't go backwards. Can't mm-hmm. go back to Hogwarts. Can't go off with Lily and figure out myself there." So, th- this this guy, this you know, this this Voldemort guy is offering me some path. Yeah, he right. has no well, I think to go. that's has... some of the attraction with with Snape is this just sort of this. This uh, father figure, or this uh, uh, somebody who seems to know the the who accepts him and, mm-hmm. and brings him into the fold where he's not been accepted or brought into the fold in in other arenas, you know, right. yeah. and um, treats him as an equal and sees stuff in him. Yeah, and I think there's actual uh, between Luther and, and Snape. There's a lot of uh, you know uh, kinship. I think uh, yeah, Luther well, that's sees why, a lot that's of, why I set him up as the dark, defense against the dark arts teacher in the seventh year. I think that Snape was at his lowest for uh, the end of his fifth year and his sixth year when he tried to apologize to Lily and it didn't work out. But there was really nothing on what was going on in his seventh year. So I kind of threw in that, like, maybe he had a new mentor, a teacher, to be there for him and, like, keep him from, you know, kind of just being stuck in the mud. Uh, and that's where Luther kind of kind of serves as that, as, as, as a sense of direction for Severus, which... Throughout the series, um, it's my intention that he is not entirely sure exactly what to do. He's, he doesn't have a moral, like, definitive path yet. And throughout the series, it's up to Luther to help him figure that out. Because at this point, um, if, if there's one thing that, that has been steady about Snape throughout his entire history from, from you know, right up until the end, is that he never lost confidence in his abilities yeah. with with everything else going on in his life all these other terrible things that have you know beaten him up from you know personal relationships and mistakes he's made in the past the one thing that he knows that he's always been good at the one thing that you can kind of stroke his ego with is that he is an exceptionally skilled wizard which uh, yeah. luther recognizes and and uh, and and promotes as the reason why he should go on this raid in this episode right, right. away it's it's That's almost why that... he says uh, you know, um, well, he took on these wizards single-handedly, you know. I mean, uh, he took on these, uh, what's the line, muggle? Four, four, four trained, he, seen, yeah, he, four he held his own against four yeah. trained yeah. wizards. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, that's a, that's a one-two punch for, for Snape because the thing that brought him there in the first place was Voldemort telling him how skilled he was and exactly what he's looking for for his ranks because he's so great at what he's done. He, he's, he's lost Lily. The, he, you know, he won the battle but lost the war with her in the battle in Severus Snape the Marauders, but he did win. Yeah, he mm-hmm. did. He did. He did. He, you him. know, he did. He did beat them in. You know, at least 
you know, in the, in this physical confrontation. So with both Voldemort and Luthor, they are dragging him deeper and deeper into this, even Mm -hmm. though he uh, really doesn't have any connection to the rest of the Death Eaters. And we kind of see that, that they are a lot more ruthless yeah. than, but, than but Severus is. Yeah. Luther's a great character for that because he's sort of like the shade of gray before you get to the black of Voldemort. So it's like sure. this, this character that you can uh, reason with, talk with, find out where he's coming from, find out more about the, the dark arts or what. Which I think it makes him more scary because he's a very reasonable, very smart, very educated person who still wants the Death Eaters to yeah. win. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. Uh, it's it's your lawful evil <laughs> yeah, alignment. Exactly. Which is just, uh, you know, really fascinating just to, just to and, and attractive if you're looking for guidance. You're looking for something that knows its way in the world. Yeah. If you're Snape, that's what you're... So one of the things that um, I wanted to portray with Snape, because I never want Snape to say, I'm not sure where, how I feel about this or where my loyalties lie. He'd never say that, even if he weren't in the presence of Death Eaters. It's just not who he is. So I wanted to have an action portray that. And I'm and the way to do that was to kill two birds with one stone, and that's answer how Remus gets healed. So when we were talking about that Snape's the only guy who can do this, we had to come up with reasoning as to why Snape heals Remus. And you and I talked about that. So why don't you go into how yeah, the, you we know, came to it? This was this was a question, um, or or at least a discussion we'd had a lot at the conventions during mm-hmm. the promotion of Snape and the Marauders, as far as talking about how Snape feels about the Marauders individually. And the way that I always saw it was James and him are opposites, complete opposites, as, yeah. as far as like the type of people they are. It's very obvious that they would butt heads. Yeah. Uh, Sirius Black is connected to Snape's world, but is James's best friend, is his right hand, is somebody that once again, Snape expects this from. Right. He has a natural hatred of him. So, you know, uh, Sirius is already sort of a rebel who has this family unit that he basically rejects, which is something Snape never had. And then Peter's Peter. Like, you know, he he knows that Peter's going to go along with whatever they say. But but Remus is the wild card there. Um, Remus, like Snape, does not have a family, like a supportive family unit to. Remus you know, is like Snape. Yeah, very. I don't, I don't think Remus likes Snape. No, no, no. That's that's what I said. Okay. He's, he's 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 very similar. He's very much like Snape. Gotcha. He he doesn't have a cohesive family unit. He knows what it's like to be alone and isolated. Yeah. Um. He knows what it's like to be very very misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Uh. In 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 a way that I think Severus would be very um understanding of. You yeah. know, with everything that, that Severus is, has studied, you know, we, we see that in the books, that he knows exactly how to help Remus. He right. knows that this, this is somebody who is very skilled. Remus was always an intellectual, you know, very well-off student. Yeah. Uh, in a different circumstance, Remus and Snape could have been very, very close friends. Um, yeah, these are... That's that's all always, these dynamics are uh, yeah, that's, ma- what make these relationships interesting just to listen to. It's yeah. all in the backstory. You, none none of this is like you know spelled out in the episodes. But this wonderful sort of uh, background dynamic is just sort of there when the scenes start. Yeah, that, and it's, it, that, it's that immediacy is very realistic. And and, right? and, and I think I think that that dynamic was important for us to get across because while. There's that intense rival rivalry of like hatred versus hatred. It's like you know they would hate each other either way, just from the type of people they are. I've always felt that Severus seeing Remus be a part of it, yeah, 
mm-hmm. always stung worse than anything else. It was was always more offensive to him than anything else because it's different to see people who are unlike mm-hmm. you being a threat to you. But when you see somebody amongst them who is like you, yeah, you're looking at them like, why are you here? What? Why? Why are you giving me a hard time? You should understand me. You should be be a lot more. You know, give give me a lot more leeway than these other people who couldn't possibly understand where my headspace is. Right, because in and it, it's it's it just gets so complicated because Remus in in Snape's worst not Snape's worst yeah Snape's worst memory um, was not to participate in bullying Snape, but he also would purposely put a book in front of his face and like just purposely not get involved, which is complicit. You know that's it, it that's what complicit. it was. It's yeah, very that's complicit. Right. Yeah, and then he would like you know chastise them later but i'm like how about you chastise them in the moment remus but he wouldn't because because we also see in in the film um there's there's this very telling moment where uh james calls out severus for calling lily a mudblood and he turns mm-hmm. around and the insult he throws back his stuff out james or sirius or peter he goes after remus right you know he, he he's, he's attacking their their weakness in the moment yeah but he could have he could have called them out for being um, for for any of them having you know their their transformative abilities or being anime guy or anything know, like he, that. Snape doesn't know about those. Oh, he things. doesn't know that. Yeah. He knows about Remus. That's yeah. why he brought it up. But but he he spits that out. You know he spit he spits that out in that way that that just just always just told me that you know he he feels a a very different type of animosity towards Remus. But but also in this case. Um, I don't think he would. He cares how much pain he inflicts on somebody like Sirius, but I don't think he really knew what Sectum Sempra was capable of. That's fascinating this. because you said that uh, he's never. He, that was probably the first time he successfully uh, hit somebody with it. He, uh, it's it's assumed that he grazed James's face with a Sectum Sempra, but it didn't quite hit the mark uh, in Snape's worst memory. But if that was the first time that. Snape actually hits somebody with it and then sees them like completely bleeding out. It's like one of the two things come through my head. Like he either knew what was going to happen, but he was too like hot and uh, hot and angry in the moment to realize the long-term consequences. Or he saw it and was like, wow, my spell is much more powerful than I thought it would be. Well, I, I, you know, I think uh, if in the moment, he doesn't look back at Remus. Right. He's not even looking at Remus when he shoots that spell out. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the film, when we see it, he, he's very tunnel vision, working his way to James, as we saw. So right. he doesn't stare over Remus and see him bleeding out. He launches that Sectum Sempra spell in the same way that a person who's shot guns their entire life at a range mm-hmm. would suddenly see what it's like to shoot something that's living and what a bullet does when it tears through somebody. He, you mm. know, when he's hearing the damage that that caused, the fact they can't stop the bleeding, that this guy is alive but bleeding out. Yeah. So that informed your choices in this I, episode. I, I felt know. that his blood would have just gone cold hearing that. Right. Because he had, I, I, he had no idea what this spell was really capable of. He had only kind of worked with it in theory. Hmm. Cruciatus spell, he knows what that does. He launched that at Sirius knowing exactly what that does because that's been used before. Mm-hmm. But this was his own invention. Mm-hmm. This was something completely untested. So knowing that that's the effect it took and the fact that this wasn't just creating you know, yeah. bad gashes, but 
he's going to die if he doesn't do anything. He will have killed somebody, and this will be the first person that he's ever killed. Right. And I think that is the most important part, is that he knows that he's part of the Death Eaters, and murder is like the name of the game when it comes to being a Death Eater. But he's not entirely sure he's ready to cross that line yet, which is another reason why that line is so important which is when he gets the mask ah yes certified mask makes it official and Bo says uh, the brand makes it official well that brand you get that brand when you earn it so that the kind of the idea is what's it going to take for Snape to earn that brand and right now he doesn't know and he's not sure he wants to know yeah he's he's still he didn't come into this with any clear idea of what he wanted to do in the death theaters at this point he still doesn't know all he knows is that he's valued yep and how he's valued and how he can be of value to anyone at this point means a lot to him. Yep. He doesn't know what that is yet. And that's what we're going to discover as this series progresses is mm. what makes Severus an asset to the Death Eaters. Right. Well, I think that's good. I think we can call it right there. Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> so thanks, Bo, for joining us. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Th- thanks for hanging out with us, Mick. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you at the next talk back after episode three comes out early ish October. Excellent. See you then. Take see care. See you guys.